as we've gone through the book of James this summer, we've used the word wisdom a lot. We've talked about how James really is a New Testament book of wisdom, and it has similarities to things we read in the book of Proverbs or other books of Hebrew and Jewish wisdom. And James says and repeats a lot of the wise sayings that Jesus taught. Some of you have even made note that you've noticed how James sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount in so many places, and, and, and James writes that way. It's so much of, of the focus of this letter is wisdom, and so much of the way that it's written and what it teaches us is about godly wisdom. I wonder when you think about that word wisdom, how do you answer the question, what is wisdom? How is it different than knowledge? How is it different than education? How is it different than just understanding? What is wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? And some of us would immediately think, when we think of the word wisdom, we would think of a person. Because wisdom, in so many cases, it's, it's something that's taught and it's something that's caught. And so when you think of wisdom, a person comes to mind. For me, without question, the, the number one person who comes to mind when I think of wisdom is my grandfather. This is a picture of my grandfather and I when I was just a wee little lad. Everybody say, aw, aw. I know, my grandpa was really cute, wasn't he? He's a really cute guy. I've been blessed with a lot of wise men in my life and a lot of wise women who have invested in my life. But when I think about the relationship from which I was taught and caught the most wisdom, I think about my grandfather who passed away a couple of years ago and how much that wisdom has impacted me and how much I have taken that and, and put it into practice with my own family and in my own life. In many ways, wisdom is something that is taught and caught from a wise person. Other ways that we find wisdom, wisdom can come from book learning and education. There are certain forms of wisdom that come to us through knowledge. Wisdom comes from experience. It comes through good experience, but more often it comes through bad experience. And often hard things we go through or mistakes that we make bring us a tremendous amount of wisdom. Wisdom can come through training and apprenticing as you literally walk in the footsteps of a wise person and learn to live as they live and think as they think and speak as they speak. And much wisdom simply comes to us over time, doesn't it? You just have to live some life. You have to have a lot of those experiences. You have to put some miles on the body and on the mind and on the heart. And, and in the process, you learn about wisdom and you gain wisdom. The Bible, in many places, and James is one of them, essentially distills wisdom down to two categories. There's the wisdom that comes from God, and there's the wisdom that comes solely from the world. And there are some ways, if we will pay attention, and James gives us several evaluative tools here to be able to decipher between the wisdom that comes from the world and the wisdom that comes from God. And if we'll pay attention, we can see that there are some differences. And prayerfully, we will be those, as James said in chapter 1, who when we realize we're lacking in areas the wisdom that comes from God, we'll ask him for it and he'll give it to us. James continues on here in chapter 3 talking about wisdom. And I came across this quote in preparation for this message, and I thought it was very fitting as we begin into this text this morning. Dan McCartney wrote, No one wants to appear foolish, but sadly the foolishness we fear is mostly earthly foolishness. 
We hate it when our retirement portfolio fares poorly or when we buy a car that later gets a low rating in consumer reviews or when we wear improper clothes to a social occasion. Would that we were as concerned about not being foolish with respect to God as we are with being foolish in the world's terms. So once again, giving us very practical wisdom for daily life, how the true disciple of Christ can grow in, in the how-to of putting our faith into practice. James returns to wisdom. And he says in verse 13, the wisdom that comes from God is shown through right actions and through righteous living. In verse 13, James asks a question which is followed by a command. The question is a really good one, isn't it? As this letter we've talked about, it's, it, it went out to believers all over the Mediterranean. Most were Jewish background believers who were very familiar with Hebrew wisdom. But it went out to all different kinds of people in different circumstances. And it's as if James is asking this question directly into each one of these churches. Look around and ask this really good question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Notice he doesn't say who claims to be wise and understanding among you. But who is wise and understanding among you? Let that person show it, James says. There is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. James doesn't ask, who is the most educated among you? Who has the highest degree level? Who is the one that kills it at trivia night in your church? Who has all the knowledge? That's not what James asks. Who is wise and understanding among you? Someone once said, the difference between wisdom and knowledge is, is this simple. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. I like that. I saw this on a t-shirt once. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is considered a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in your fruit salad. <laughs> Fairly practical. What James does in verse 13 is he uses one word. The NIV gives us two words, wise and understanding, but it's actually one word. It's a very unique word in the Greek New Testament. It's, and, and, and the word really, the word is epistemon, and the word really brings together wisdom and understanding. The NIV does an okay job. But it means something like a depth of knowledge and understanding. A depth of knowledge and understanding about how to live in a way that glorifies God. It's, it's a small word, but it has a big meaning. And it really indicates the, the depth part of it. So who would we say, who would we say in this community is that deep person in terms of wisdom and understanding? Not just that they claim to be, but they are that person. We could probably all think of some folks we know, even sitting in this room, that fall into this category. James says, if that person comes to mind, let them show it. Let them show it by their good life. Let them show it by good deeds, right actions, faithful obedience. And let those deeds be done in humility. Not just in plain old humility, but in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you do a search, a word search throughout the Bible of the word wisdom, you'll be amazed how often the word wisdom is accompanied by the word humility. They go together so well, and it's, 
a consistent teaching that we find in scripture and it fits with what james has already said james chapter one if any of you lacks wisdom ask god who gives generously to all and it will be given to you the truly wise person who is wise in the wisdom that comes from god understands how humility and wisdom go together because that truly wise person realizes this wisdom doesn't come from me and i am not capable of being that wise person on my own but what i've realized through the wisdom that god has given me is that i am listen i am completely dependent upon him for anything good that i can know or do and knowing that i am completely dependent upon him you better believe that wisdom and humility come together because when I try to do things in my own wisdom, more often than not, I mess things up. Wisdom and humility, the humility that comes from wisdom, and it leads to action. Again, as James said, who's wise and understanding? Let them show it. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word. That's how you deceive yourself. Do what it says. Let the wise and understanding person show it. As the body without the spirit is dead, James said back in chapter 2, so faith without deeds, faith without right actions, it's also dead. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. The wisdom that comes from God is shown through right actions and righteous living. And then in the next verses, really the rest of the verses in this chapter, James gets into those diagnostic tools. How do we evaluate those two kinds of wisdom? The wisdom that comes from God and the wisdom that comes from the world. We might ask it this way. How do we differentiate between true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, and, and false wisdom or imposter wisdom, the kind of wisdom that sets itself up as if it's right, but ultimately it is not the wisdom that comes from God. It is the wisdom that comes from the world. How do we know the difference? Well, James says in these last verses of our text, the wisdom that comes from God is distinguished from the wisdom of the world by its fruit. How often does the Bible use this language? If you want to know whether it's right or wrong, good or evil, wisdom that comes from God or wisdom that comes from the world, judge it by the fruit it produces. And I love the way one scholar talked about these first verses, that really what James describes here is a collision of two different value systems. The value systems that are often promoted by the world and those around us, and the value system that comes from God that has from God's word a set of standards and has sets of boundaries and teaches us how we are to rightly think about who God is, about what his word teaches and about the way we live in relationship with our neighbors. There's a difference between the value system that God has put forward and most of the value systems that come to us from the world. And if that's true for us, that was incredibly true for James and the apostles and the first Christians in their day. Think about the difference, the stark difference 
between the value system of the New Testament and the value system of the Greco-Roman world, even as we just know today from our readings of history and viewing inscriptions and statements that were left behind, what did the people of the Greco-Roman world in the first century value? Well, it seems like most of them valued the same three things that we still see overvalued today, sex, money, and power. Look at the Greek and Roman inscriptions, historical records, artwork, statues, sex, money, and power. And those who were wealthy, those who had access, those were the greatest pursuits of life for most people. How do I find more success in those areas? Sex, money, and power. And they pursued them with all their heart. But then comes the New Testament. The teachings of Jesus as he walked in that generation. And as he spoke God's word to them in flesh. The Holy Spirit inspired words that come to us from that generation. That have become our New Testament epistles and books of our Bible. The New Testament value system is not one that promoted sex, money, and power. But instead the New Testament value system was things like demonstrating Christ-like love, pursuing holiness in an impure time, faithfulness, generosity, humility, self-sacrifice, peacemaking. Those were the values that the New Testament extolled as virtues, whereas for many of the Greeks and the Romans, those things were not seen as virtues, but they were seen as weakness. But the New Testament brings together this collision of two value systems. And Jesus says, those who would come after me would take up their cross. And they would live out and demonstrate that, that, that the value system God gives his people is very different than the value systems of the world. Which leads to the question, how do we respond to the collision of value systems in our own historical and cultural moment because the truth is the pursuit of sex money and power really hasn't changed all that much has it but the good news is neither have the new testament values that we find in scripture changed they are the same and the holy spirit is leading us as followers of jesus today to live according to those same values, that same wisdom that comes from God as he was leading those first Christians, that we would not be people who follow every single whim and desire according to the value systems of this world and the wisdom of this world, but that we would be people who demonstrate Christ-like love and holiness being set apart, faithfulness, generosity, humility, self-sacrifice, and peacemaking God has called us in Jesus Christ to that same wisdom that's the wisdom that comes from God and it is altogether different from the wisdom that comes from the world the wisdom of the world James says giving us some of those indicators to diagnose which is which is often driven by envy bitter envy and by selfish ambition in our hearts what is bitter envy? Bitter envy essentially says, I'm never satisfied, and not only do I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. I want to be the only one who has it. Envy is, in its nature, a bitter sin because it leads us to never be happy, 
to never be happy for anyone else and and it's like a cancer that eats away at our soul and our joy bitter envy and selfish ambition james says comes from the wisdom of the world and it flows in that same stream as bitter envy selfish ambition also says i'm never satisfied but it also says and i always want more and i always want more and more and more everyone faces the temptation to try to be yertle the turtle on top of the stack if you remember the old dr seuss story but as somebody aptly pointed out in our our sunday school time today there's only one who gets to be at the top of the stack the chief cornerstone is jesus christ and never never is that the role we get to play as a matter of personal confession though i will tell you that this issue of selfish ambition was something during a season of my life in my 20s that i really struggled with and i'm not going to say that i've never struggled with it since in my 30s or now in my 40s but there was a season of life in my 20s where ambition was driving everything i was doing i always wanted to achieve more i was never satisfied with where i was the grass was always greener and i was so distracted through that ambition that i would genuinely be in conversation with somebody and i would ignore the person right in front of me and be looking over their shoulder as if there was some better opportunity waiting for me and i lived my life that way i was pursuing ministry that way and i'll promise you this living with that kind of person is not a lot of fun to live with that kind of person there wasn't always a lot of joy at home because that was my attitude i can count on one hand the amount of times that i've had an experience like this but i had an experience in my 20s where i became so personally surrounded by the presence of god that i genuinely felt like i could reach out and touch him though i might die i could reach out and touch him he was that close and what he was speaking to my heart in that moment was it is time to break the chains of your selfish ambition so that you might be free of that and that what i've called you to do which is kingdom work might be what you actually do and not just pursuing your own selfish desires and not that i haven't struggled with it again as i said but but never to that degree because god helped me to break that chain those chains in my life selfish ambition does not come from the wisdom that comes from god it comes from the wisdom of the world which is also james continues it is prideful it is boastful and it denies the truth you know some of the indicators that the wisdom that's being proclaimed around us is is wisdom that comes from the world and not wisdom that comes from god is that it's actually antithetical to god's word if we'll look closely if we'll watch carefully if we'll listen carefully we'll see that though it sets itself to be wisdom and it claims to be right some of what's being proclaimed comes with the attitude and even the words that match what james is warning about here so much of the wisdom of the world today comes in the form of that which is extreme and fanatical and always seeks to divide us and push us away rather than to open our hearts so much of the wisdom of the world today is arrogant it's never wrong it's narcissistic it's more far more interested in the promotion of self than it is of actual truth it's angry 
It's bitter like envy that eats away at the soul, and it's hateful. It leads us to indifference. It leads us to a cold heart. In many cases, it leads to violence. And yet it still sets itself up as wisdom that might come from God. If it's boastful, if it's prideful, if it denies the truth, it is not the wisdom that comes from God. Nor is the wisdom that comes from God these other things that James describes of the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world, he also says in verse 15, is earthly. Its aims are all about this life, and they end here. It's unspiritual, it's carnal, it's not concerned with spiritual implications or with the soul of a person. And James says, ultimately, it's demonic. We might say this way, it advances the cause of the devil. The wisdom of the world, it advances those things that hold souls captive, not that which sets souls free which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, the wisdom of God is considered foolishness by the, word, by the world because the ultimate display of the wisdom of God is that Christ gave up his life and sacrificed himself. The cross is foolishness to people who don't believe, but to those who believe, it is the way to salvation. It is the ultimate picture of wisdom. It gives us life. The wisdom of the world is not concerned with the spirit or the soul, but it is advancing the cause of the devil. And as that goes forward, where you find things like envy and selfish ambition, James says, there you'll find disorder. Always the next controversy stirring. It quickly descends into chaos, is what James is saying. And it is accompanied with every evil practice. The bottom line, the wisdom of the world will simply lead to sin and every kind of sin imaginable. It will not lead to righteousness and that which glorifies God. And so living as we still do in a collision of two value systems, James says, but there are also aspects of the wisdom that comes from God. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from God which comes down from heaven, James says, is first of all pure. The root of that word pure is, is the word for holy. It's first of all holy. It's pure. It's purified by God, and it is pure before God. In other words, it's wisdom that flows out of a right relationship with him, a walk of obedience. But it's also peace-loving. The wisdom that com comes from God seeks and promotes peace, peace with God and peace with others. It's also considerate. Don't you love a considerate person? Don't you love someone who is not selfish, who's thinking about others, who is kind and considerate to be around? James says the wisdom that comes from God is considerate. And, and what this word literally means is it's not legalistic. I love the way one old English poet said it. He said, it's a person with sweet reasonableness. That's the considerate person. It's also submissive. It's willing to yield to others over selfish desires. It's willing to listen. It's always ready to obey. Submissive. The wisdom that comes from God is full of mercy. Jesus taught on multiple occasions that godliness and mercy are tied together. James calls on this word mercy 
in three separate verses in this letter as a demonstration of wisdom, as a demonstration of pure religion, as a demonstration of godliness, those who show mercy. It's also full of good fruit, right actions and attitudes like mercy. The wisdom that comes from God is overflowing with good fruit like the fruit of the Spirit, which this passage, James gives us eight different characteristics characteristics of wisdom paul gives us nine fruit of the spirit and boy they have a lot in common with each other it's also impartial and and the word that he uses there means undivided and it it has a similar root that points us back to something james said in the previous chapter he said my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious lord jesus christ must not show favoritism that's what is this impartial means But if you really want to keep the royal law, the law of the king, according to scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing right. The wisdom that comes from God follows the royal law with regard to our neighbor, and it's impartial, and it doesn't show favoritism. And then the last word, which is a beautiful word, is the word sincere. The Greek word for sincere will sound a bit familiar. It's ahippocrates. And what that means is not hypocritical. And the word for hypocrite that's used in the Greek New Testament, it's the same word that was used for the actors who would perform in the Greek and Roman dramas. So it's like James is literally saying, and the wisdom from God does not lead you to go through your life pretending to be someone you're not. But instead, the wisdom that comes from God, it is sincere, it leads to authenticity, it leads to genuineness, it is not hypocritical. And if it is, as James said, first of all, pure, then that genuineness is holiness on display, and it is a beautiful thing for people to see a genuine follower of Jesus. None of us are perfect but a genuine follower of Jesus seeking to live by the wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom that comes from the world, and that that when those things are on display, it stands out, it is set apart, and it is different. In the end, we can judge between two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God or the wisdom that comes from the world based on the fruit that the wisdom produces just as Jesus taught. This is one of those moments where James seems to be echoing the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, right near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In the same way, by their fruit, we will recognize the wisdom that comes from God and the wisdom that comes from the world. The fruit of the world's wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It denies the truth. 
It's marked by bitter envy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every evil practice. But the fruit of God's wisdom, it is pure, it is peace-loving, it is considerate, it is submissive, it is full of mercy and good fruit, it is impartial, and it is sincere. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, before we close, there is one more verse here. Verse 18, James returns for a reason as the Holy Spirit leads him in writing this letter to this issue of being a peacemaker. He listed peacemaking as one of those fruits that comes from wisdom in the previous verse. But he comes back to it, and again here he's returning to one of Jesus' key teachings that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And here James says, peacemakers, verse 18, who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemaking and righteousness are so intricately connected throughout Scripture. So that James says here one final way to diagnose one final characteristic to evaluate whether or not wisdom is from God is this very important one. Does it lead to peace? And does it drive us to be peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness or does it do the opposite? Being a peacemaker is an active role. I'm going to say that again. Being a peacemaker is an active role. It's something we're called to do on a continual basis as a part of our lifestyle if we are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. But in addition to being an active role, being a peacemaker is a tiring role. It is really hard. And we're living in times where it is especially hard to be a peacemaker when we are surrounded by so much conflict and so much anger and so much division. But I would argue that in the church, it's more possible than anywhere else that we can be peacemakers and we can model being peacemakers in such a way that even though we are trudging through darkness together, we can be light in the darkness. Because being a peacemaker definitely stands out as being set apart in the times in which we're living. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter Abigail came to me and she said, Dad, I've been reading through the book of Philippians and I've been making a lot of notes, especially on Philippians chapter 4. And she said, it's funny, as I've been making all these notes, it's sort of coming together in a message. She's like, I might call it a sermon. Don't tell anybody. I might call it a sermon. She said, but it's coming together in, in a way that I feel like I'd like to share it, but I don't know where to do that. And I said, well, you know, our staff, every Monday before our staff meetings, we have a staff chapel time at 11. So why don't you come and share what God laid on your heart as a devotion to our staff. And so she did. And she did a fantastic job. But she, Abigail, made a statement talking about being a peacemaker, as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, this very consistent theme of Scripture. And she made a statement that for several of us, we just stopped and said, wow. And I'd never thought about this before. As the Lord was speaking to her and led her to write this and to share it, she said, to be a peacemaker, you must first have peace. To be a peacemaker, you must have peace. Which I think leads to a great couple of questions to close with today. 
are you a person with peace today and are you a person of peace today just as there is a wisdom that only comes from god that only god can give so also there is a peace that only christ can give do you know that peace today are you a person with that peace and are you a person of peace the peace that only christ can give i want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we close today and as we prepare for our time of invitation which will be an opportunity for you to make a decision today if you feel led to step out and make a public decision or even just there where you've been seated maybe god's just leading you to make a commitment make a decision some way to him today i want to read over you philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 where paul uses words that are so similar in some cases identical to the words that james used here in chapter 3 describing the wisdom of god paul wrote philippians 4 8 and 9 finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen put it into practice and the god of peace will be with you lord i pray today i pray that you would open our hearts to the peace that only comes through jesus christ that we would not only know that peace as people with that peace but that we would step out and follow in your footsteps to be people who are people of peace in our relationship with you in our relationship with others but also in what we proclaim that there is freedom that the chains of sin whatever our sin might be can be broken and that god in you we find light and life that overcomes the darkness of this world that helps us navigate between the wisdom that comes from this world and the wisdom that comes from you and that leads us not on the path that leads to death through sin but leads us on the path that leads to life through jesus christ today lord i pray that we have heard through what we've sung and what we've said that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life to salvation we thank you for the cross we thank you that Jesus Christ defeated death through his resurrection. And we thank you that you have given us your word that we might walk in the wisdom that comes from God and that we might be light in the darkness around us as we go. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.